Welcome to the Cloud Architects Podcast, a podcast about cloud, technology, and the people using it. The Cloud Architects Podcast is sponsored by Kemp Technologies. Choose Kemp to optimize your multi-cloud application deployments and simplify multi-cloud application management. A single pane of glass for application delivery, Kemp provides a 360-degree view of your entire application environment and even third-party ADCs. Download Kemp 360 for free today at kemptechnologies.com. Hi, everyone. We're here with Ross Smith IV, and we're looking forward to have a particularly interesting show. So today you have myself, Nicholas Blank. You have Warren Detoy. Hi, everyone. And you have Ross Smith IV. Hi, everybody. So, Ross, instead of reading your bio on air, which I think is particularly boring and drying, do you mind just introducing yourself and what is it that you do at Microsoft? Yeah, sure. So uh, I've been with Microsoft for 19 years. I've had a variety of uh, different positions within the company. My current position for the last, uh, since July, let's say, so I don't have to do month subtraction in my head, is I am a program manager on the Intune engineering team, focusing on customer experience and specifically Outlook Mobile. Okay. So um, before we get back to what you do, you are Ross Smith the fourth, not just Ross Smith, yeah. and that's on your display name and it's absolutely everything you do. Do you mind telling us about that? Yeah. So, well, I'm the fourth Ross Smith in a generational line to carry the name Ross Smith, obviously. And uh, when I started at Microsoft, I was the second Ross Smith at the company 19 years ago, amazingly. And as it turned out, uh, a bunch of confidential IT engineering emails that when I was in the IT engineering org were ending up going to this other Ross Smith. So to address that, we changed my display name to be more uh, particular about which Ross Smith we were emailing. And since then, there are now four Ross Smiths in the company. And believe it or not, the, the, the other Ross Smith, the original other Ross Smith, is the second and has the son that is the third, but we're completely unrelated. Wow. That's amazing. So yeah, there's lots of Ross Smiths apparently out there in the world. And my son is the fifth. He'll give oh, it away, yeah. The fact that I just mentioned. Cool. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So in my world, I originally got to know you as the architecture guy for Exchange. And yeah. if there was a preferred architecture, we would quote Ross, right? This is what Ross said. And yeah. um, now we went to Mac and we listened to the preferred architecture talk. And for years, we would quote to our customers, well, you know, Ross said that this is how we can deploy. And now... Myself, having an exchange background, I see exchange is much more and more de-emphasized as a product, like SharePoint also de-emphasized as a product. And it's now substrate and glue and much more of a de-emphasized status than the hero status that exchange used to have in our world. You know, oh, exchange used to be really need a hug. complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Sorry, yes. I okay. guess that's okay. okay, cool. <laughs> so give us give us some commentary about that because you've lived through all of that. You you must have seen the writing on the wall, being inside Exchange, and Exchange 
was the hero product for Active Directory. It gave Active Directory a reason for existing and was also the first product to actually make cloud mainstream inside Microsoft. Yes, I mean, Exchange has had a very long-lived life, and I don't consider Exchange dead by any means. Um, but as you've indicated, yes, it's becoming more more commonplace into the fabric of Office 365. We still sell on-premises uh, products with Exchange 2019. We still even allow you to purchase Exchange Online separately from the rest of the Office 365 suite. So it is still it still has its life there, and and you're right, it has it. It has its roots in practically everything. Active Directory was born out of the 5.5 directory. Um, and, you know, the uh, extensible storage engine is in all, practically all, all, all sorts of components with across Windows and other applications uh, and is not going away despite what many would hope that SQL would replace it. It's, it, it, it may replace SQL one day. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I'm words. I like that. We'll see what Jeffrey Snover does in um, his new role. Uh, but yeah, it's it continues to exist and it continues to be developed. But it's more of becoming a platform in which uh, many things can run on. Uh, as you mentioned, the substrate, right? The substrate's nothing more, just a, a data platform, if you will, and. Uh, one of the things that it allows is to be an abstraction layer from what the underlying storage technology is. Um, so we, all, we we see things like Teams, uh, Exchange, all using inter, interweaving and using parts of each of each type of application, whether that be SharePoint, Exchange, et cetera, um, and store data within those various places as need be and be able to access them. So uh, Teams has some data stored in Exchange. Uh, and some data stored in SharePoint, um, you know, to do uses the the substrate to access Exchange data for task management. Um, so I think Exchange has a has a a great uh, focus within the uh, the world of Office 365. You know, ex Exchange I think has a special place in everybody's heart. I mean, mm -hmm. like, including mine. And um, you've been there 19 years, right? And so I asked someone who's been there a really long time as well, Mr. Jeff Mieliff. And I'm going to ask you, which was your favorite version of Exchange? My favorite version of Exchange was uh, probably is Exchange 2003. Yes, first, that's the second was, time. Okay, was, so we know. You know, it, uh, Exchange 2000 had some had some issues. Uh, yes. You know the the most painful one was upgrading public folder databases from 5.5. Uh, the move away from in-place upgrades to side-by-side uh, uh, -side installs effectively helped decouple those type of problems and, and ushered in some of the changes. And then I would say, you know, of course, one of, one of the areas that I spent a lot of time helping in the architecture um, and improving over time was continuous replication. So there's always a place for... Uh, Exchange 2007, 2010, 2013 in my heart as well. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, okay, well then, that. you know, at least people agree with me now. So that's cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, that, 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 it ran for a significant takeoff. 
You know, we, you know, from a, a deployment perspective, it's pretty much been every other type of version in the on-premises space. Lots of customers remained on 5.5, skipped 2000, and then there was mass adoption in 2003. And likewise, we saw the same thing between 2007 and 2010. Lots but then because it was so good, nobody wanted to go to 2007. <laughs> exactly. So Jeff made uh, roughly the same kind of statement that Exchange's biggest competitor was Exchange. Yes. Yes. After after uh, after night notes kind of died, and uh, Groupwise kind of did the same. Yes, Exchange has become its own competitor. And now I would say, you know, from an on-premises to uh, Office 365, Office 365's biggest competitor in terms of getting customers to move is is the on-premises platform, especially mm. older versions of the on-premises platform. So you must have been very involved in getting Exchange established as a cloud-worthy or cloud-ready product. There must have been some interesting pains or stories getting Exchange from underneath a desk in Washington to a, a global product. I'm sure it was, yes. One of, that was actually not something I focused on in the early years. Yeah. I was pretty okay. much dedicated solely to the on-premises. Uh, I, I love purity. Yes. Yeah. I'm one of the yeah. dinosaurs. <laughs> well, you and me both, I, I did uh, a hybrid talk for Exchange the Tour, and it was amazing being able to bring out the, the knowledge that still had reference to on-premises customers. Yeah, but you also got to be the escalation guy, didn't you? The guy who had to do all the difficult customer talks. Yes, yes. I, as as a member of the customer experience team within the Exchange orga engineering organization, yes, I had to deal with a number of interesting and complex escalations, and it, it you know that was always an interesting thing because. As the years progressed, those type of escalations changed. We went from the you know, 2000, 2003 escalations that were always re revolved around storage area networks mm. and IO problems to less around that in the 2007, well, I would say probably 2010 to 2013 and 2016 days, less around those type of discussions as customers more and more adopted uh, direct attached storage. The the questions that kind of evolved in the the escalations that evolved in the in the in the the 2010 and beyond was always around virtualization escalation. Mm -hmm. Typically around the same sort of things, performance related. It's just it shifted from the the physical storage really to more of an abstraction layer. Okay. So 19 years at Microsoft. And uh, we had a, an interesting interview with Mary Jo Foley, and she got to see all three CEOs and interact with all three CEOs. You stole my Tell us what you saw. Go on. You, you asked the question. No, no, no. You do it. Okay. I just wanted to say, look, look. I would have asked it differently. You, you're doing a great job. Yours is more diplomatic. <laughs> I'm going to be like, who's the best? <laughs> uh. Well, I mean, if we go on, who's the best? Since my tenure there, the you know, if we look at it just from straight numbers of the stock price, Sacha is by far the best because uh, our stock price has risen dramatically under his leadership in the last five years than it did during the majority. I mean, if you look at it, the majority of the time that I that I was there, Steve Ballmer was CEO because um, he was CEO for like ten or so of yeah. years, I think, and Sacha's what four or five years now as CEO. 
Um, so Bill Gates was kind of winding down his CEO activities. Uh, what around 2004, I think he stepped down, something like that. I can't remember the exact dates, but um, yeah, uh, uh, by far our stock price has risen. We've we've become we've refocused. Uh, we're we're showing we're not showing we are acting more customer obsessed than we've had in the past we're we're much more open to feedback we're um we're in embracing other platforms and technologies i mean you look at where we were five years ago we had nothing on the ios and android ecosystem now we have all of the mainstream office apps are now on iOS and Android as platforms. We're developing solutions for Android, like the launcher, et cetera. So we've become more open. We've incorporated things with Linux uh, and the like. So definitely favorite. significant change in progress, I think, that has helped embrace, embrace us and redefine us as not the leg legacy dinosaur that most customers were seeing us and most people were seeing us, but as, as a predominant force in the technology industry now. And I think that's mostly due to Satya. What is your favorite part about working for Microsoft? What is your favorite part about doing what you do? I mean, you get to go and talk all, all, all around the world. You get to see all these different yeah. people. And, you know, I mean, I'm, do, you have, do you have kids? I mean, do you get to leave I the do. kids? I have I one mean, child, yeah. Ah, there we go. <laughs> so you got kids, okay, and when daddy comes home, does he bring a whole bunch of stuff home from whichever country he's in? I know we do that. Um, but what is the best part about working for Microsoft and doing what yeah. you do? Okay. Because 19 years, it's obviously something. And has it yeah. changed? The, I, I mean, I think the overarching best thing about Microsoft is, like you said, 19 years here at the company. And I've stayed throughout. That's 19 consecutive years. That isn't without a break. It's because I, I'm able to switch roles and find new areas. Now, I will say for the vast majority of that 19 years, with the exception of the last probably – I mean, the last two and a half years, I've been focused on Outlook Mobile. It isn't until July that I was completely uh, divorced from Exchange. Um, but, you know, the majority of that time, 18 so years, was all focused on Exchange, but lots of different roles. I started my career at Microsoft in IT engineering, and actually, I actually started there, uh, hired for my Exchange skills, but actually the first six months of my career was actually deploying the very first SharePoint team service and SharePoint portal server back in the day. I was the engineering guy behind all that for, uh, within our internal deployments. Um, so, you know, starting there, becoming the AD architect, I was the schema master as I referred to myself for like a six month period. I got the, I held all the keys in the kingdom for deploying new code basically in, in the company to then, you know, Working directly with customers in our uh, premier field engineering role, I was a support consultant back in the day, then going into the Exchange Center of Excellence and helping customers deal with those nitty-gritty escalations as well as defining all of our best practices to then moving into the product group to focus on customer experience and, and revamp our customer experience program to then now doing customer experience for Outlook Mobile and uh, defining how we should improve our security and help drive our security investments in Intune and Outlook Mobile. Um, so definitely a wide range of different roles and capabilities, which has kept me interested in not looking elsewhere outside the company effectively. Um, so that's definitely one of the best parts of Microsoft. You, you mentioned another, the ability to go and speak to customers. I, I, I love going to Ignite and Tech Eds and 
in the like. We've done a number of third-party conferences back in the day when those were more prevalent. They've kind of reduced now, unfortunately, but um, those were always fun. Um, you know, the times when I have been able to come to the MVP Summit, unfortunately, I will be on vacation next week because I think it's next week, so I won't be there for that. Um, but, you know, those are always uh, great opportunities to meet and engage with people and customers and find out how they either love or hate the product, depending on where they're coming from. <laughs> so then when you're on, when you say that you're on the, the Outlook mobile team, I mean, I know that, see, I, like, I don't know if a lot of people know that the iOS version used to be called Accompli and uh, Accompli was purchased by Microsoft. I used to use the mail client before it became Outlook. Um, so would that would that encompass that as well? Would Outlook Mobile be sort of on the iOS side as well? Were you involved in making a complete, essentially Outlook? You know, uh, where does where does your reach stop? No, I. I yeah, so I engage. I, we acquired a complete, I think, back in 2015, 2014 or 2015, somewhere around there. I began my my focus area effectively in tw late 2015, I believe. Um, so it was after our acquisition, um, but I helped. I helped with a number of of the uh, planning and and implementation aspects around moving off of the Amazon Web Services architecture to our Office 365 based architecture, uh, ensuring things move smoothly for our enterprise customers. So you have a. You've always had a, a massive architectural mindset and always been the architectural guy. And so you also the architectural guy or have that focus with Outlook Mobile. Do you mind telling us what is it that you do from a day-to-day -day basis? Bear in mind that people see um, public figures such as yourself and you're inside Microsoft and one day they want to be like you. And they just see the public facing side of things. So this question is geared towards two things. One is how do they become like you in terms of career progression? And you've mentioned inside Microsoft, there's lots of roles and, and opportunities. And the other one is what do you do every day and what does that look like? Yeah. So uh, let's start with, I guess, what do I do every day? Um, so as my role within Intune, in, Intune Engineering, I'm, I specifically focus on our within our customer adoption team. Uh, the customer adoption team is designed to help deploy some of our largest customers and get them deployed on Intune and obviously using mobile. And if this if those customers are doing mobile deployments, obviously using Intune for those mobile deployments, whether that's enrolling devices or using our app protection policies. And naturally, that also involves apps like Outlook Mobile. Uh, Outlook Mobile is definitely one of our largest uh, uh, app protection policy consumers uh, within within the Intune deployment space. From that perspective, pretty much everyone who's doing mobile device deployment is deploying some sort of mail client uh, for mobile messaging. So we, we have a, a team of uh, program managers that go and help these type of large enterprise customers. As one of my roles in that is to be is the architect for helping them define the uh, process in which we should go and help those customers deploy, uh, as well as providing the, the knowledge set that um, they need to be able to authoritatively answer any type of questions that the customer may have, whether that be around Outlook Mobile in terms of the app, 
or the architecture or how Outlook Mobile is secured through app protection policies and the like. Uh, so a good chunk of my time is helping these PMs understand the technology. Um, so there's a portion of that. There's also a portion around customer engagement and customer escalations. Um, I'm dealing with a very interesting escalation at the moment. A, a number of us are. I'm, I, I don't want to sound like I'm the only one. Uh, we've got engineering support teams engaged from both the Intune side and Outlook to, side to help drive root cause on this particular issue that our customers encountered uh, with the platform. Um, so there's there's things like that. Um, one of the other roles that I'm like today, one of the things that I've been working on today and yesterday is we are having a, a ready readiness team offsite uh, in two weeks uh, where we're meeting with the engineering PM team to kind of go over uh, what's new, what we're planning in the space from an Intune perspective uh, to provide customer feedback back to the engineering team directly on uh, the features. Uh, so I'm helping planning and assist in, in that. So we have a smooth uh, readiness visit with 30 plus people. Um, one of the other areas that I spend a lot of time on uh, is I write all of the Outlook mobile docs on docs.microsoft.com. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, That's a lot. Uh, that is a lot. I, I pretty much am the sole knowledge keeper of all <laughs> Outlook Mobile knowledge at this point um, in terms of what we, what we publish publicly. Um, so uh, we have, you know, as an example, uh, I'll, I'll tease something new. Um, we have a major change coming out next week in terms of app management. Uh, I've talked about it a bit in, in prior uh, engagements. It was, I talked about it at London and, and in the DC Ignite tours. Um, I know, I know, I know the DC one was recorded, but I have no idea where they put that. If they actually exposed that publicly, uh, London was not recorded. Amsterdam will be recorded. Um, but yes, we will, we will be, ha we've been talking a lot about general app configuration and the mm -hmm. ability to manage specific settings within the app. So that, for example, you could turn Contact Sync on mm. um, by default, um, with the caveat being that in order to turn caveat, a Contact Sync on, the user must grant permission to the local Contacts app. If the user doesn't grant permission, you can't turn it on. Um, so that's that's the key caveat about that one. Other settings would be like Focus Inbox, right? There, there. Focus Inbox is a very polarizing feature uh, oh. with customers. I don't know so much as end users per se, but for, I, I mean, I, I have heard some users don't like it. Some users do. It'd be interesting to know what your, what your thoughts are in that area. Do you use but, it? I use it. Yeah. <laughs> it do, is on by default in Outlook Mobile for me. Yeah, no, I, I can't do it. Mm. I do. I do <laughs> use it. I, I get I too don't much know. Mail. I think I'm, yeah, maybe. Look, I don't know. I think maybe I'm just a little bit OCD about it. You know, like it looks like, it looks like it's gone. It's like, you know, I'm the type of guy that marks stuff unread if I need to action it. And yeah. um, Focus Inbox just sort of takes that away a little bit. So it, it hurts me a little bit. Um, it's a good feature, though. Yeah. I mean, like as a, as a quick example of what it does and helps for me is, you know, we use obviously uh, Azure, Azure DevOps 
for bug tracking and everything, right? Um, and feature work items. I get a ton of emails daily whenever there's a change in one of those those uh, work items, and so having, those all get marked into the other other box. So they're immediately removed from my focus inbox. So like, you know, Nicholas, I can focus just on the important stuff. Um, but it can be a polarizing feature. Some people are really against it. Um, yeah. And some IT admins are really against it. And they want to turn it off by default for their end users because they're afraid that it will confuse their end users, I guess. Um, so we have that option now that you can send down the default configuration effectively. It doesn't mean that the user can't override your choice and turn it back on, but it does allow you to have some flexibility in configuration. Now, there are some settings where we'll give that type of control where an admin can say, this feature must be on, and it can only be on. Um, a great example of that is block external images, right? The ability to prevent web uh, beacon harvesting through uh, images with external content. Uh, we've given the admin control for security-related features to be able to block the end user's ability to change that setting. It doesn't mean that the end user can't do things like actually tap the download images and download the images into the mail item, but it prevents it from being automatically downloaded. Okay, that makes sense. So we'll have uh, very soon that will be released and all of our guidance will be updated. There will be blog articles. Uh, I have written a few. Uh, so you can look on, and, and the way I've done this for, for Outlook Mobile is you can be an Intune-focused person and find the content on our Intune customer success blog, or you can be an Exchange person and find the content on uh, our eHello blog. I, just, I post in both places, so that way uh, everyone gets to see the content. Yay! Good. Yay, yeah. blogs! <laughs> okay, I'm going to change gears then towards Outlook Mobile. Okay. And I know the answer to this question, but not everybody does. And it's because we've both presented around some of the um, specifically, or I should say specifically, I have presented your deck. So I know the answer to this question. <laughs> so why do we need a mail client from Microsoft when I've got native active sync clients on just about every phone on the planet. Yes. So MDM, MAM, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Very different there, Nick. <laughs> we believe Outlook Mobile differentiates itself across four different uh, key pillars. Uh, first and foremost, I think, is the fact that um, from a security perspective, unlike all, unlike a number of other clients, I won't say all, but unlike another other mobile clients we have unparalleled security we you know from a microsoft perspective you've come to expect that when microsoft delivers an application or a service that security is built in that it isn't a bolted on add-on feature and that's what we've done within outlook mobile through you know using technologies like the azure active directory authentication library and using other components within uh the enterprise mobility suite uh, we have conditional access, we have Intune app protection policies so that we can provide and ensure that all the way I look at it is so that we can ensure that only a legitimate user can access a cloud service like Exchange Online using a, using a trusted app. Um, Brad Anderson loves to say, you know, a trusted, you, you know, I'm going to get this wrong now because I want to quote him. Um, we only allow trusted users to access 
trusted trusted ser access services on trusted apps and or device trusted devices right um, that's what what that's what our fundamental thinking is so this extends beyond just outlook but um, that's uh, that's one of the key pillars from an outlook is security um, and that we have this unparalleled built-in security through through the Microsoft cloud suite of technologies um, the other area that I think is of paramount importance, especially as customers transition to solutions like Office 365, is the fact that Outlook Mobile has uh, a deep integration with Office 365. Um, you know, we we have designed the app to leverage the full power of Office 365 technologies, and we've built some tremendous first-party cross-app experiences that you just don't see with third-party solutions. Uh, my favorite example that I, I usually give on stage is around attachments. You receive, we all receive lots of attachments today. One of the things that we've done with Outlook Mobile is when you, when you tap to launch an attachment, we can launch that in the respective Word, Excel, or PowerPoint application. And once you do that, you can edit as you want and immediately trigger a flow to send those changes back to Outlook to be sent back to the sender as an updated attachment, right? So we can give you, we make that a seamless experience within across these apps. And we're looking to do a lot more integration, um, you know, across uh, new technologies as they get released. Uh, existing technologies, Skype for Business is one. I mean, what, what third party mobile apps have the integration that we have with Skype for Business today, where you can create or or join an existing meeting with a single tap. Um, and we're going to be, you know, question usually comes up, when does Teams start? Uh, Teams support in Outlook Mobile will start rolling out in April. Um, so we'll have that capability there. And we've made some changes based on customer feedback, specifically around what that experience looks like when you're in a coexistence scenario with Skype and, and Teams. Uh, but, you know, that's another great example of this first-party cross-app experience. OneDrive for Business is another great example. We're deeply integrated with OneDrive for Business. We're actually in the midst of designing a new uh, file picker to help that improves how you can attach or link to uh, content in your OneDrive for Business folder or on sites you frequently access. Uh, and then, you know, from uh, the third pillar is around uh, is mostly around calendaring. You know, we obviously understand that email is a critical business workflow, but we've heard we've heard time and time again how uh, many mobile messaging apps fail in the calendaring space. And so we've taken it to heart that calendaring is just as critical to uh, a user's workflow as email is. And so we've spent a significant amount of time building in features and solutions within the Outlook app that make calendaring shine so that you can use that app for the most part to manage your entire uh, personal and work uh, life. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we've introduced new functionality around scheduling free busy. You can see, you can see the free busy. You can see who's, who's RSVP to meetings that you've created. Uh, we now we've improved our um, RSV response, and so now we have a mini calendar display when you're actually uh, when you actually need to respond to a meeting and accept or tentatively decline it. Um, 
And we've also started integrating with uh, other services within the Office 365 substrate, like Cortana, um, so that we can do uh, time to leave notification reminders. So, you know, if you're required to be at your, you know, a dinner reservation, and it's an hour away from you from where you are now, we can remind you now that you need to leave as opposed to 15 minutes before your actual reservation starts because obviously you can't get there in 15 minutes. Um, and we're looking to enhance that. We'll be rolling out the, uh, you know, our first stage was, was the reminder notification. Our second stage in that will be persistent notifications within the calendar experience itself so that you can see, oh, yeah, I need to leave 45 minutes from now to get there. Um, so we're doing that. And that kind of ties in with our last area, which um, I think helps sets us above any other mail app, which is the intelligence that we've built in. Um, you know, we offload a significant amount of processing to our cloud service so that we don't have to build a bulky app that takes a significant amount of time to download that is restrained to Wi-Fi for downloading, et cetera. We, we want to leverage the power of the cloud. And this is why, and this ties into why, for on-premises customers, why there's a cloud component in the service. But we want to leverage artificial intelligence as much as possible. I mentioned Cortana Time to Leave. We're looking at areas around LinkedIn integration, which we'll be releasing soon. Um, we have things around travel summary cards, reservation cards, package delivery cards that we've built. Um, so. Uh, and then we have our zero query uh, search experience. So when you tap the search uh, icon, you immediately get a list of your most frequently accessed contacts. You get a list of your files, most recently accessed files. Um, we'll be able, and you know, we use zero query search in other locations. When you create meetings, you get a um, you get a, and you want to choose a location, we immediately provide a list of your most recently accessed locations. So for like meeting rooms, so that you don't have to go and hunt where that meeting room is. You can immediately just pick it from a dropdown effectively. So that's how we're using the power of the cloud to provide features and services to the client to optimize the end user's capabilities. So I think those are the four areas that kind of set us apart from many native client and many third-party mobile clients. So you must get frustrated then when uh, you, you kind of get the, but on my native experience, I get the, the mail's already there after I get the toast or the, the contact integration just works. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, we, yes. So a lot of this is um, dependent on the platform for sure. So, um, you know, with, with the iOS architecture, we do have some limitations unfortunately. Um, Apple has designed their, their uh, platform to, um, to be optimized for their first-party app experiences, and they restrict what third-party apps can, can do in some cases. Notifications is a great example. Um, the iOS architecture will automatically freeze uh, apps based on a number of different constraints, and when that when those apps are frozen, uh, background app refreshes cannot be performed, which does does kind of indicate a sub 
a subpar experience on, on the end user's behalf when using those type of apps. Uh, like for Outlook, for example, that means they get a notification because notifications are delivered through uh, the APN service and are separated from background app refreshes. So as a result, you'll see a notification, then you launch the app, and you might have to wait a millisecond or two for the email to be delivered. Um, we continue to uh, look at ways we can optimize behavior with also, with also without having to compromise end user capability. For example, battery life. We don't want to compromise battery life because that, that, that is a detrimental impact on the users. And we also continue to raise these type of concerns with Apple. And we and obviously we urge all customers to raise, raise those type of concerns with Apple as well. Um, as as uh, the more impact input that Apple sees, uh, the more likely they are to adjust designs on their behalf, on their behalf. And it is interesting because, you know, um, developing a, an app across two different mobile platforms, we see uh, you see differences as a result uh, on the platforms. There are features and capabilities available on one platform that are completely unavailable on another platform. And that yes. does hinder the capability for us to deliver uh, an experience sometimes to both platforms. Contact Sync is a great example. People get upset uh, about the, it. The um, Contacts API within iOS does not have the capabilities we need to deliver a bi-directional contact sync, whereas Android has those capabilities. So we've implemented that architecture on the Android platform. It's unfortunate, but that's where we are due to constraints around the operating system. Wow. It's a very real picture of where things are in the, in the modern software development world where effectively there are only really two mobile platforms. Yes. So but I was looking on Twitter. Two main, there's two main platforms, I would say. And then you have, you know, unfortunately, Android has so many offshoots yes. because of its open nature that that can even make make things more complicated. We, we, you know, one of the things is, you know, we know at least on the iOS platform when a bug comes in that if we fix that particular bug that it's fixed yeah. across the entire iOS ecosystem, whereas there have been occasions. Contact Sync is a great example on the Android platform that – because of all the variants, uh, we have found that we have fixed something, and then we notice that there's an issue on Samsung Knox devices, as an example, um, that we have to go and build a separate type of code change for, just because it's uniquely different um, yes. in some cases. So that it it does make uh, software development somewhat harder uh, on at times, um, but it also makes it interesting too. From uh, that perspective as well. Yeah. So I was looking at the, the questions that we had open on Twitter, but I noticed that you were quite proactive and you've already answered all of them. So we don't have any Twitter <laughs> questions left to ask you. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Probably shouldn't have tagged me. <laughs> um. Okay. So with that, we're going to leave you with uh, some of the rest of your day. We want to thank you for, for being on, on the recording with us. We do ask everyone who comes on the show, where do people find you where you want to be found? You know, blog, um, Twitter, anything that you want to promote, anything that you want to plug, this is an opportunity yeah. to do so. Okay. So obviously we have the Intune customer success blog. 
and we have the uh, eHello Exchange Team blog. Um, both those blogs are are definitely where we announce information around Outlook Mobile. There's also a, a more generic tech community Outlook site that has more high-level type of uh, content that gets uh, announced. Uh, and then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Smith IV. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Anything else you want to say? Close off? Plug anything? Um, let's see. Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> Come see me here. Yeah. <laughs> Stay in school. Uh, Don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'll be in Orlando. Uh, we haven't started awesome. planning yet, but uh, I should be there. Um, even though that's many months away from now. Um, definitely try out Outlook Mobile. If there are concerns, uh, let us know. We we are of uh, Outlook Mobile and the development team behind Outlook Mobile is very user driven. Uh, yeah. We collect lots of telemetry that is non-PII specific for those that are always curious about that. And we are very active on Twitter. Uh, we obviously take support cases. We have in-app support. We have uh, Premier support for those customers that pay for Premier support for filing uh, bugs and uh, design change requests or feature requests. Uh, we're always interested in knowing, like one of the ones that we got today was around proposed new time. We're definitely aware that proposed new time is something we should focus on in, in calendaring. Uh, so I suspect you'll see something about that in in the future. Um, yeah, we just released calendar color categories in Outlook for iOS that rolled out this week to 100% um, with the caveat of being the uh, native Microsoft Sync technology. Did we want to talk about that? We didn't talk about that. Actually, you're right, yes. Let, before we end the show, sorry, folks, if you're driving and you thought you could switch us off, you can't because <laughs> we do want to talk about that just for a little bit because it's super cool. Yes. Okay, so, um, you know, we mentioned earlier about about the fact that it was uh, the app was acquired by Accompline. We started on Amazon Web Services. We transitioned to an Office 365-based architecture. Um, as part of that transition, one of the things that we did not do is we didn't replace the API that the Outlook mobile client used to communicate to a cloud service. So and instead, the world ended. Yeah. And, and instead, what we did was we built a, a translation service that we stored within Azure in the public instance of Azure uh, that would convert that proprietary device API into a protocol that Exchange Online understood, which in this case happened to be the REST API. And so we did a significant amount of development work to make the REST API understand the type of communication pathway it was because the REST API really isn't a data synchronization protocol from that perspective. Um, but we built that and um, so that was our first uh, iteration of the Office 365 based architecture. We've since uh, are now in the midst of and we recognize that that was mainly a stopgap to help get us off the Amazon Web Services architecture and into a Microsoft cloud based architecture. Um, we've always had the long-term vision of transitioning away from that proprietary device API that the Outlook mobile client utilized. Uh, and so uh, we began investigating what protocol platform we should begin uh, leveraging. Um, and we've decided, and at that point there are basically, you know, you know, we have four, we have four installable apps today of Outlook. You know, you have the Outlook desktop client, which uses, um, if they're 
doing it right, they're using MAPI HTTP, or they could be using RPC HTTP, right? So there's technically two data sync protocols for the Outlook desktop client. You have Outlook for Mac, which is using the Exchange Web Services platform. You have uh, Outlook for iOS and Android, which was using a proprietary device API in REST. And then you have the Windows 10 mail and calendar apps, which are sometimes referred to as Outlook, just to confuse everyone in terms of what can be installed, right? Um, and that was using uh, a native Microsoft Sync technology when working against Exchange Online accounts. For on-prem accounts, it was using ActiveSync. But those are basically the four uh, type of data sync protocols. And then there was the active sync client for traditional mm -hmm. mobile clients, right? So, of course, one of the problems there with having four different data synchronization protocols is the, the ability for us to innovate and deploy a new feature across all of the different Outlook endpoints was extremely hard because we'd have to build the, the functional layer in the data sync protocol and then build the UX on top of that. So everything had different inconsistencies when, when things were ultimately built in terms of the capabilities because it was all based on what that data sync protocol could do. So one of the things that we decided early on was we would leverage one of the existing data sync protocols. We landed on the native Microsoft sync technology that the Windows 10 uh, mail client uses. And in fact, we're going to transition Outlook for Mac to the native Microsoft Sync technology as well. Yay. So that basically brings us down for Exchange Online accounts down to two data sync protocols. You have MAPI HTTP for Outlook Desktop, and you have the native Microsoft Sync technology for Outlook Mobile, Windows 10 Mail, and Outlook for Mac. So that means we just cut our, our development capabilities significantly now, because now we only have to develop uh, across two data synchronization protocols and just do the UX work across the platforms. So now when we build something like, for example, lots of customers have been wanting features in Outlook Mobile like shared mailboxes, um, sensitive labeling with information protection, S-MIME support, uh, favorite people with notifications. Uh, all of these things are based on the native Microsoft Sync technology. Uh, so that we can build that. Some of these things will obviously have impact in like Outlook for Mac. That's how we're doing some of the same technology capabilities. Um, so immediate, immediate benefits by having this on a single data platform for these, these type of clients. Um, the, so that's, the, that's, that's kind of like our, the, the Microsoft development team focus for why we wanted to do this. There were other benefits, obviously, from that will impact and help customers, right? The removal of that middle tier service uh, has the benefit of improving sync time because we're reducing the amount of connections we have to make and the, the, the longevity of those connections. So that means faster sync, potentially, um, as well as potentially better battery life as a result because if we don't have to maintain a connection as long to that middle tier while we're waiting for the middle tier to do the translation they exchange online instead the native microsoft sync technology connects directly to exchange online so there's no middle tier service that what's also under the has, hood day? How does, huh? how does it, what's under the hood day is there is there any way that that's going to be pushed to some of the other technologies or is it primarily been written for exchange i mean is there yeah. sort of could OneDrive use this type of no, thing? Um, it, do you know what I mean? Pretty much as a as a data sync protocol for mail. At gotcha. this point, there are gotcha. no plans to extend it beyond just email. Um, gotcha. Great question, though. But yes, so it 
it enables direct connection between the mobile client and Exchange Online. So we no longer have to use middle tier services in Azure for data connections. Uh, that has another benefit of introducing the ability for us to support other unique Office 365 instances, which we haven't been able to before. Um, uh, as an example, uh, this applies mainly to the United States, but government community cloud. Uh, we did not support government community cloud high or government community cloud department of defense prior to the native Microsoft Sync technology. Um, we also today don't support Outlook Mobile connecting against Office 365 for Germany or Office 365 for China. Uh, so uh, in theory, we will be able to support those scenarios with the native Microsoft Sync technology. There's work we still have to do to enable that type of capability, but that is the overarching goal is by removing this middle tier technology, we can now support other unique Office 365 instances. Um, uh, are there any other benefits? No, I think I covered all the main benefits. Why, for the why, not, why not use it for, for, for Outlook for Windows then as well? Um. Well, I mean, if we think back, Outlook, Outlook Desktop. Uh, because there's, there's Outlook a lot of problems there. I mean, we've we've seen like Paul Andrew and Paul Collin, right? Yeah. Paul Collins, their their entire jobs are based around this, <laughs> making sure that Office 365 performance is better. And Outlook is one right. of those guys. Outlook yeah. is the one that hangs and kills that personal assistant when she's trying to sync the CEO's mailbox. Um, and, you know, obviously in South Africa, our bandwidth is getting there, but with bandwidth constrained clients, we, th there's always an issue. Um, connect, moving the Exchange server into the cloud, you're now taking one quadrillion connections <laughs> to Exchange and you're pushing it in. Um, could, yeah. could you, uh, would it fix that? I don't think it would fix that necessarily. Um, it, it doesn't optimize bytes over the wire per se um, in that regard. Um, there's obviously things we could do to help probably improve bytes over the wire for uh, those type of connection scenarios. The main reason why we're not investing in, in, in uh, the native Microsoft Sync, te Sync technology for the Outlook desktop client is the Outlook desktop client is 22 years old. It wow. is very, I mean, we, we launched Outlook with Outlook 97 um, and it has progressed since then uh, over time. So that is a massive rewrite to change uh, that entire client to use something other than Mappy. The client has always been built with Mappy as its underlying data synchronization protocol. Um, you know, there were different ways in which Mappy was accessed before it was through RPC packets, and now we just directly send Matt, Mappy straight to the Exchange server. Um, but uh, that's the primary reason is it would be a massive undertaking to rewrite the core of Outlook Desktop away from Mappy to a new data synchronization protocol. Whereas Outlook for Mac was slightly different because it wasn't using that type of protocol. It was already using a, a modular data sync protocol with Exchange Web Services. So it was not to say that this Re, this move to the data sync protocol for Outlook for Mac is simple by any means, but it was much easier to change that type of uh, synchronization engine than it is in the desktop client at this point. Stunning. So Mac wins Great again. answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, this is still the native Microsoft Sync technology, despite its name, is an HTTP-based protocol uh, secured via TLS end-to-end. 
so it doesn't change anything from a port perspective. Uh, you know, it's still HTTP. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, it does improve some things you know, around uh, communication from the perspective of proxy. You know, we had for a period of time there, we did not have a support statement around what you needed to do if you wanted uh, a mobile device within a corporate Wi-Fi environment to be able to connect to the cloud service with Outlook. We built a support statement. It was it had some complicated scenarios, like you needed SOC support, for example. Uh, how many uh, times the, I've had to state, I've had to write documents with that statement, like in yeah. bold letters, saying, "Guys, this is not cool. <laughs> Don't do yeah. that." So Cas the, Casb the and those the, kinds of things. Yeah. The the good news with the native Microsoft Sync technology is we no longer will require SOCs, so it's just an HTTP based proxy scenario to the uh, endpoints. Um, you know, we're, we're in the midst of rolling the, this new protocol, data sync protocol out now. The majority of customers are still on the older uh, data sync protocol. Uh, we're slowly migrating customers to the new data sync protocol. How will uh, they know? Well, the, the, that's a great question, Nicholas. Uh, the, the, great, the great thing about this is that from an end user perspective, they don't really know. Um, when when we do this on a per tenant basis, so we migrate the entire tenant at one time, uh, assuming the end user, assuming the tenant's been migrated, and the end user is using uh, an app version that is supported for the native Microsoft Sync technology. The next time that user launches or resumes the app, we will flip them to the new data sync protocol and. All that happens is very similar to what you see when you uh, launch the app the first time after an app update. You'll see, you know, please wait while we update your email and calendaring data. The user gets that same experience, and then they see their data as we change some fields in the underlying uh, database on the client. That's incredible. But nothing to actually see on the on the device that says this is a status ah. that shows I'm using native sync. The unsung heroes. Today, no. But we are adding that. Okay. Yes, there will be. Uh, customers uh, like to know. No, I know. I agree. <laughs> I was one of the ones who pushed that. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the ones you can thank for that. Uh, we are adding a field, uh, a, a, a setting, if you not a setting, but uh, a display, I guess, value that indicates if you're using the native Microsoft Sync technology within the account settings. I don't know when that'll roll out, but that is something we'll be adding. Um, the other way, admins can look uh, via another way. So admins can use uh, either, users can use OA as well. I shouldn't say users can't look, but um, today they can use OA and go in the mobile devices and they can see what client type they're using. Uh, if they are using the old data sync protocol, the client type indicates rest. If they're using the new client sync, client, new data sync protocol, the client type is indicated as Outlook. Um, uh, admins can use get mobile device statistics and they can look to see what all the, what all their clients are using yay yeah. fantastic thank you Ross thank no you problem. so much for joining us glad thank I could you so much joined. for answering all of our good questions yeah. <laughs> and um, to everybody out there uh, if there are any follow-up questions just give us a shout and uh, any of the things that we've discussed today we'll put in the show notes and um, 
I guess if there's any other questions for us, just use Twitter. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing, nothing that we can do over there. But thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a super day. Yes, you guys do the same. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to say thank you for listening. We really enjoy putting this podcast together for you every two weeks. Please visit us at thearchitects.cloud or alternatively drop us a tweet. We'd love to hear what you have to say. At the Cloud Arc.